Father, I thank you for everyone who's gathered in this room. I thank you that you love each of us that is here. Lord, I pray that as we open the word of God that you'll speak to every heart. Lord, all of us are probably at different points and places in our journey of life. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not yet come to know your son as their personal savior, that, Lord, today you will reveal unto them that you are so very real and that you came to this earth to, to live and to die and to rise from the dead and ascend back into heaven to be the Lord of lords and the King of kings and that you want them to know you personally and intimately as their personal Savior and Lord. And, Father, I pray for we who are Christians. Many of us have turned to you many years ago, but, Lord, I pray that if we become cold and indifferent or confused about your will for our lives, I pray, Father, that you'll speak again to us and that we'll renew our trust and faith in you and we'll renew our commitment to you so that our lives can truly be what you want them to be. Lord, today as we open the word of God, help us to know that this is from you and that you desire that your people grow in their spiritual bodies. And Lord, we just pray in all that we do, you would be honored and glorified. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. For the last four weeks, we have talked about the ungodly use of the tongue. And we found that in James chapter 3. We have identified the problem. Is there anyone that is here today that would say, I don't have a problem with my tongue? If so, you are dismissed, and we'll see you after we get finished with these messages, okay? But folks, this morning, we've identified the problems that we can have with our tongues. Now, let's identify what the Word of God says can be the godly use of the tongue. And I want to read these verses out of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. They're going to be on the screen, and you can follow along if you don't have your Bible with you, okay? And if you do have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to this passage of Scripture. Uh, these verses are out of the Revised Standard Version, okay? Uh, Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every one. Tychicus will tell you about all about my affairs. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of yourselves, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. As we begin to look at the godly use of the tongue, let us remember that the power of the tongue the power of speech is one of the greatest gifts from God. But the power of the tongue and speech must be used the way that God intended. And here in Colossians chapter 4, Paul points to four important ministries of the tongue and of speech. Please notice these four, and I think they're very evident in this passage of Scripture and very clear. 
First of all, the tongue is to be used for praying in verse 2 in the first part of verse 3. Secondly, the tongue is to be used to proclaim the word of God. That's verse 3, the latter part of verse 3 and verse 4. The third important ministry of the tongue is witnessing to the lost in verses 5 and 6. And the fourth important ministry of the tongue here in this passage of Scripture is sharing the burdens of others in verses 7, 8, and 9. So in two weeks, uh, next week we begin revival, but today and the following Sunday, I hope that we can talk about these four important ministries of the tongue. Well, first of all, let's look at prayer. Warren Wiersbe, and again, uh, in case you don't know or recognize that name, Warren Wiersbe is a contemporary preacher and modern Bible translator and scholar, and, and he is just had, has had a big impact on my study of the Scripture. But Warren Wiersbe says that prayer and worship are perhaps the highest use of the gift of speech. Now, again, think about that. Worship and prayer are perhaps the highest use of the gift of speech. And the Apostle Paul here in verse 3 is not ashamed to ask his fellow Christians and friends to pray for him. In verse 3 he says, and pray for us. Even as an apostle, even as one of the greatest evangelists who had ever walked on this planet, he needed prayer support for himself and for his ministry. And I think you and I can safely understand that if Paul needed prayer, how much more do you and I need prayer and how much more do you and I need to practice prayer on behalf of others? And folks, I want you to know something. I realize from the get-go that not all prayer is vocalized. And probably many of you would say, well, I cannot pray in public. Well, that's fine. I understand that. All of us are geared differently. All of us have different personalities and abilities and strengths. But folks, I want to tell you, in your own personal prayer life, there is power about verbally speaking to God. There is a release in praying aloud to God, both privately and also publicly. And I want to point out that in these verses, I believe that Paul describes five characteristics of a satisfying and spiritual prayer life. Now again, folks, we've been studying on the negative use of the tongue. Now we want to study and look at the positive use of the tongue. Let me point out some things that Paul is saying about the spiritual and satisfying prayer life. First of all, I believe he would have us understand that prayer is for every believer. Every single one of us. Folks, this is one of the great privileges of being a child of God that we can address the Father, we can come before Him boldly, and we, just, we can just spill everything out before Him. Folks, it is essential for spiritual health, it is essential for spiritual growth, growth that we be people of prayer. And folks, I want to say this again, not from my heart, and I'm going to say a lot of things to, today from my heart, not to preach to you. How long has it been since you've actively been engaged in prayer with God, your Heavenly Father, the one who loves you more than anybody else? Secondly, Paul says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Folks, our praying must be faithful. And that means not just on special occasions, not in a time of crisis, 
not simply when it is convenient. But God wants us communicating with him on a regular basis. And Paul says here it should be steadfast. Now, what does that mean? It is devoted. It is something that we will continually do. It's something that we will not stop doing if we hit a, a, a hole in the road, if, if something happens that discourages us or frustrates us or even makes us mad at God. We will not stop praying to God. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, and this is a King James Version on the screen, pray without ceasing. In the Revised Standard, it says, pray constantly. Well, folks, what does this mean? Does it mean that you and I will walk around with a frown on our face and we'll constantly be muttering prayers? Or does it mean that because you and I are constantly in fellowship with God, we're talking with Him? And you know, one of the best definitions I know of prayer is simply talking to God, communicating with Him. Folks, we prayed the Lord's Prayer earlier. Our Lord gave us the instruction to do that. But I don't think that God wants us to be formal in coming to Him. Folks, we can't impress God. He wants us to know that we love Him so very much and we can come openly to Him at any time we can come to God in prayer. And I think what Paul is trying to say that for the child of God, for the Christian, that prayer should be as normal as breathing. To the Christian, prayer should be as normal and as essential as breathing. And folks, if we pray constantly, this does not mean that we have to wear God out like a whining child or a nagging spouse. And I'm not talking about women because men can nag as much too. Amen? That's another sermon, okay? <laughs> Folks, when we continue to bring things to God, you know what we're doing? In essence, we're saying, God, I can't handle this. I'm turning it over to you. And are we not all guilty of turning it over to God one hour and the next hour we pick it back up and we try to solve it? Prayer here is something that we continue to do because, first of all, we believe in the power of prayer. And, and let me just give you some side notes to this. These are things that are not in the notes, but, but I've thought about since preparing this message. We've already mentioned that next Sunday morning at 8.30, we're going to begin our fall revival. Now, this is not just something we do because we have a revival in the spring and we have a revival in the fall. I truly believe that for every six months period, what we do in the next six months will be determined by what happens in this revival. The spirit of the church will be determined by the spirit we have in this revival. Folks, all of us need to come back and recommit ourselves to the Lord and refocus on his mission. What if every single church member prayed every single day in preparation for this revival that God would be here and bless? What do you think would happen? He'd be here and bless. What if all of us began to pray daily that the lost outside of the walls of this church would come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I believe that not only in our church, but in all the churches in this area, that more and more people would be making professions of faith in Jesus Christ. What if we began to pray for each other that God would so move in our hearts and in our lives that we would become that person that Christ wants us to be? 
God would answer that prayer and we, in essence, would become a mighty force like the early church on this earth. Folks, there is power in prayer. Because when we sense the power of prayer, we, we sense the ability of God to hear and answer our prayers. And it's evident throughout the Word of God that God enjoys answering the prayers of His people. But let me make a side note. God always answers our prayers in accordance with His timetable. And in my own personal life, and I'm sure you have too, I've found there are at least three answers that God gives us in prayer. Yes, no, and wait a little bit longer. And I found something out also. God's delays are not God's denials. And so Paul is saying that we need to have a constant, faithful prayer life. And as you and I continue to pray daily, we grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul also says in this passage of Scripture that our prayers must be watchful. Listen to this. In the latter part of verse 2, being watchful, being watchful. Folks, what does that mean? As you and I pray, we must be spiritually awake and spiritually alert. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. You've heard that expression, watch and pray. There's a family here today. I remember their dad, who is now deceased, told me many years ago that uh, at church here one day, he noticed his little girl had her eyes uh, shut as they were praying or had her eyes open. As, as the church was praying, and, and that day at the lunch table, he said, why were you doing that? She said, Jesus said, watch and pray. <laughs> That's a true story. Y'all know who I'm talking about. I thank you. Anyway, uh, but listen, what was Jesus talking about watching and praying? Well, folks, this concept goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And on the screen is going to be a verse out of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. And let me give you the background of this passage of Scripture. In Nehemiah's day, there, there had been a time in which Israel had sinned against God and they had been taken into a captive land as exiles because of their sin, but God had brought them back to Jerusalem. That was a sign that he was with them and he was going to bless them again and use them again. And one of the things that they were doing was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it was a time of revival, a time of recommitment of the people to God. And Nehemiah is the leader at this time. And listen to what he says in Nehemiah 4.9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. What is Nehemiah saying? As they were doing the work of God, they prayed that God would bless them and they also had watchmen watching out for the enemy who did not want them building the walls. And here's the point. It's a, it's a concept in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In prayer, we must be constantly on alert for the enemy. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 35. Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And this verse is in the context of putting on the whole armor of God as we fight against Satan. Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all God's saints. And folks, here's the point. Just as Satan wants to control our tongues, 
Satan would seek to control and destroy our prayer life. And I'm bringing this point up, folks, because how many of us have given up on praying? How many of us have gotten discouraged? How many of us said, you know, I really would like to be a person of prayer, but every time I start praying, uh, my mind gets focused on something else, or I get so busy, I've got so many other things to do? Let me tell you something. You know when Satan attacked you? When you said, I'm going to make a commitment, a new commitment to pray. Any area of our life that we surrender in submission to God, Satan will begin to attack us in that area. Again, let me give you some examples. Why do we have such a struggle with the tongue? Satan wants to control our tongue. God wants to control our tongues. And one of the ways that we express his control is being people of prayer. And I want to tell you, if you hear the Word of God, not my words, but the Word of God, and you, you desire to get back into a steadfast, faithful prayer life, you're going to be under attack. And Satan's going to give you a variety of reasons why you shouldn't pray. Satan's going to give the church of Jesus Christ a variety of reasons why we should not take prayer seriously. But when God's people pray, God answers and revivals begin to stare the church of God. And perhaps that's one of the reasons that Satan does not want us praying as a body of believers. And perhaps for some of us, we don't want God doing anything else in our churches and anything else in our life, so we're not going to pray. But folks, there's another reason Paul says we should pray. Look at this. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Listen to this. Our prayers must be thankful. In recent weeks, in my own private Bible reading, and I'm telling you that just to simply share this with you, not to promote myself, but I've been reading in the Psalms. And as you read those Psalms, there's so many elements of what the people are expressing about themselves and about God, but one of the elements of the Psalms is thankfulness. You know, we've gotten all messed up in our world, and, and I say that again in a serious way. We want to ask God for all of his blessings, but we never want to thank God and acknowledge what he has done for us. You know what that is? That's plain and simple selfishness. I'm guilty. When is the last time that we were unashamed as Christians to thank God publicly? I know this is going to sound old-fashioned. If I said old, I would qualify because I am old, all right? But listen, we have stopped giving God praise for anything. Would we publicly pray? And I'm not talking about praying in the restaurant so 10,000 people can hear you. I'm simply talking about bowing in the presence of God in a public place and acknowledging that whatever we have, God gave it to us. What's wrong with saying, well, I just thank God for the... You know, I, I might have said this last week. I'm finding one of the, one of the easiest places to just praise God is on an elevator. Have you ever, people will speak to you getting on the elevator. It's like, you know, they think, well, you stopped this elevator just for me, and they're going to speak to you. And they'll talk about the weather. They'll talk about something. And you can just say, you know, thank God for such a beautiful day. Or I pray, whoever you're visiting, whoever your patient is, that they'll do well if you're in a hospital. 
Folks, I believe as, if God's people avail themselves to God, he is going to give us plenty of opportunity to give praise to him, to give testimony and acknowledgement of him. And folks, I want to tell you, some of the greatest things I've learned about God is through the testimonies of others whose prayers have been answered by God. And how many of us have had prayers answered, but we never acknowledge who answered them? But let me tell you what's so strange about this passage of Scripture. Paul says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Where's Paul at? He is in prison. He is writing these words from prison. And he is telling them, in everything in your prayers, you give thanks and praise to God. And there's a fifth thing I believe that Paul is saying here, and that is prayer must be purposeful and directed. Look at verse 3. And pray for us. Pray for us. Folks, he is saying that prayer should not simply just be vague or general or generic, but it should be specific. And folks, let me tell you what's so important about this. When we begin to pray for specific things, you know, we're beginning to pray in faith. Listen, would you ask God to do something for somebody and you really didn't expect him to do it? Let me show you the next verse, Hebrews 11. Uh, verse 1. And this is a verse that explains what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When you and I are praying to God, we don't know that that prayer is going to be answered, but in faith we believe it will be. We begin to pray for people that are lost, believing that God will bring them to a saving knowledge of himself. We begin to pray for people that are in some time of crisis or have some great need. In faith, we believe that God is going to answer that prayer. Look at this passage of Scripture out of 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Now, now this is a verse, two verses we really need to pay attention to. Listen to this. This is a confidence we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have attained the request made of him. Think about the power of praying specifically and purposefully for someone or something. Now, again, folks, please, let, let me just, I, I want to make this as simple, and this is not hard to understand, but I want to make this as simple as we possibly can. Folks, think about people and this is not a judgmental statement. If there's someone who doesn't know the Lord, they're separated from God, they have no peace, they have no relationship with God, and we pray for them because we love them. But think about the fact that many people begin to pray for one person or one family. Do you think God's going to answer that prayer? Do you think it is God's will for people to be saved? And the answer to that is yes. It's not God's will that anybody be lost. That's why Jesus came for the entire world. When we as a church and as individuals begin to pray for the lost, guess what? God answers those prayers. I look in this congregation and I think about people that we've prayed for that have had some crisis, whether it would have been physical or emotional or mental, whatever that crisis would have been, and God has brought you through it. We're not taking credit. We give credit and praise to God because he answered our prayers. But we were a part of his work. Prayer is such a wonderful ministry. And so here's the point. 
Ministry number one of the tongue is prayer. But ministry number two is proclaiming the word of God. This is what Paul says. That in this latter part of verse three, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. After God's people pray, you know what happens next? Proclamation of the Word of God. Let me give you a couple of scripture passages. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. And if you know your Bible, you know that this is a chapter where the deacons were selected. Luke writes, but we will, and this is what the apostles were going to do, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and this tells about the early church as the early church began. This is what they dedicated themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and that is that Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he was raised from the dead. One of the requirements for being apostle that they saw the resurrected Lord. And in essence, they're proclaiming the, the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Folks, listen. When you and I become people of prayer, the next result of that is we're going to begin to proclaim the word empowered by prayer and preceded by prayer. And please notice in the Gospels that often before Jesus taught great multitudes and individuals, he spent time doing what? Pray. Sometimes even all night long. And folks, here's the point. If we use our tongues to pray, God will surely use our tongues to proclaim His Word. And folks, listen to this. Paul says that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And folks, look at this. Look at this. How strange that Paul would want God to help him do the very thing that had caused him to be arrested. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but Paul was not in prison because he had robbed a bank or got caught DWI or because he had beat up his spouse or someone else or because he had violated some criminal code. He was in prison for preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 21, beginning with verse 18 through Acts 22, 30, he has been sharing the good news of Jesus. And when he gets to the point that he says that God's Son came and died for everyone, even the Gentiles, they wanted to tear him to threads and they had to throw him in prison to keep him from being killed. And listen to what he says. He is not praying that God would open the doors of the prison, but God would open farther doors of ministry. It was more important to Paul to preach and to tell about Jesus and to be a faithful minister than to be a free man. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16.9. Look at this verse. I love this verse. It encourages me. For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you commit your life to Jesus Christ, there will be more adversaries that spring up in your path than you can ever imagine. But whatever the circumstance, Paul saw an opportunity to share the Word of God and the good news of Jesus. And folks, look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Listen to this. This is another letter that is written while Paul is in prison. 
I want you to know, brethren, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, folks, that's a strong statement. He is in prison. His friends and fellow churches have been worrying about him, but he says, don't worry about me because I'm in prison. That was God's plan. Listen to this, verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I want to tell you, for years, I would read that passage of Scripture and not understand it. The Praetorian Guard was 9,000 select imperial troops in Rome. They would have never heard the gospel if Paul had not been put in prison. Paul was given the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with these 9,000 soldiers. I don't know if he spoke to every one of them, but if Paul had his way, I'm sure he did. Someone was telling me after the 830 service that they'd read an article on that guard that every four hours they were changed. Every four hours new people came in and Paul got to share with them. Folks, this was, this was his desire. Listen to verse 14. And most of the brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. And listen to what he says. That I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Give me just a couple more minutes and I'll be finished, okay? Because I'm getting ready to get to the good stuff, believe it or not, okay? Paul is not only seeking opportunities to speak to others about Christ, but also to speak to them clearly. I love Paul. Paul wanted people to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I don't have any verses to put on the screen, but I want to give you the gist of what is going on. In Paul's day, there was much stock put in philosophies and people who are great speakers. And Paul said to the people, I did not come to you with eloquent wisdom or speech, but with a message of the cross. That was his message, that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, died on the cross, was buried, and was raised again. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's coming back again. That was his message. And some thought that he was a babbling idiot, that he would believe that a man would die and then be raised again from the dead. But that was Paul's desire, to share the Word of God. But folks, before I go any farther, I want to say something. I'm sure up to this point y'all have said, well, yeah, I know I ought to pray, but there's no way in the world I'm going to say anything to anybody about Jesus. Do you have that trouble? Don't raise your hand. All of us do. All of us are scared in many ways, to bear witness to Christ. Where does that come from? You remember? Watch and pray. There's going to be adversaries. You remember Paul says, a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. If you and I commit our tongues to speaking for God, Satan is going to try and shut us up. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Exodus chapter 4, look at these verses. Paul was at the, I'm, excuse me, Moses was at the burning bush. God was revealing the plan. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. Listen to what, he's already made a couple of excuses. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either heretofore or since thou hast spoken to thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now how many of us, if God said, I want you to be my witness this coming week, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak on my, on my behalf, how many of us would say, 
<clears throat> Lord, I think you got this mistake, and I, I can't talk. I can't talk in public. I can't talk one-on-one. Listen to what God said to Moses in verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now look at verse 12. And I hope you'll take your highlighter, and if you don't have your Bible today, you go home and you'll highlight this verse. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. And there might be some young people here saying, well, that's good for these older people like the preacher, but I, I, I don't think God could use me. Look at the next passage of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet at a young age. Listen to this, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before our conception, before our conception, God had a plan for us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Look at verse 6. Then I said, I, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord, look at this verse, verse 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Isn't that a powerful statement? Anybody ever ask you, Who put that in your mouth? We could say, as we witness to others, the Lord put that word not only on my heart, but in my mouth. Folks, in closing, let me say this. We don't have to be ordained preachers or missionaries to share the word of God. You know where sharing the word comes from? First of all, praying. That's what we found out, wasn't it? We pray, and as God moves and works in our hearts, he works through our mouths. We can pray, we can read the word of God, and we can commit ourselves to being obedient to God. And as we do that, listen to what God's going to do. He's going to open doors of opportunity for sharing and witnessing. We might not be like Paul. We might not have to go to prison. But he'll open doors of sharing and witness. Secondly, he will empower our tongues to speak. One day we're going to get to meet Moses and we'll get to meet Jeremiah. I think they'll back this up. God gave me words. For 40-something years, God used Moses. For many, many years, God used Jeremiah. And God wants to use you and I. He'll give us boldness. He'll give us clarity. And most of all, he'll bless the sowing of the word of God with a great harvest. Folks, these are two of the important ministries of the tongue, praying and sharing the word. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you that you not only want to save us, but you want to use us. And Lord, it's easy for me to stand in this pulpit and preach these sermons, but it's just as hard for me as I walk out the doors of this church to allow you to speak through my tongue and my words. 
But I pray, pray, Father, that you'll help us as your children to rediscover the power of prayer if we've gotten off focus and off point. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the ability to speak a word of testimony and praise and witness for you. Lord, help us that our message will be the message of your Son. Father, perhaps many of us are like Moses, and Lord, we can't talk good. Remind us that you'll put your words in our mouths. And I pray for our young people. Lord, I pray that you're preparing a younger generation that will rise up and serve you. As Satan seems to seek to destroy them and to sidetrack them and to control them, I pray, Father, that they'll surrender themselves to you. Bless these moments of invitation. We pray that if you are speaking to hearts, that people will respond. In Jesus' name, amen.